Well, good morning, Cross Point. It is so good to be with you guys online. I wish we were in person, but we are joining together over this virtual, beautiful technology called the internet. And thank you so much for tuning in with us today. My name is David Walker. I have been with Cross Point for about six months now, helping with worship leading and worship pastoring. And every once in a while, I don't have a guitar in front of me and I'm able to come down here and share from God's word. And so I'm really excited today about what God has laid on my heart to share with you guys. Uh, like I said, I'm David. I have a beautiful wife named Lauren who's actually sitting out here in, in the small little crowd we have here. And we have four beautiful kids. And we have been in the Atlanta area for about five years, originally from the Greenville-Spartanburg area of South Carolina. And this morning, we are in a series entitled Redefining Normal. We have been in this series for the last few weeks. And when you think about normal, there is so many things that are just completely off the wall right now. I mean, how can we have a hope and a future when it feels like so many things are fractured and paralyzed with what tomorrow holds and what the next day holds? Um, even with school and with all the things that we've been given direction for over the last few days even with our four kids, we're, we're, we've finally got direction, but there's so much about our world right now that we're just simply asking these questions. What should normal look like? It, it shouldn't be normal that I have to go to the grocery store and I can't find toilet paper. It shouldn't be normal that my kids have been in summer at home for five months now. It's the longest summer in the history of mankind. It shouldn't be normal that I have a little bit more gray on my beard and, and it's coming in a little bit more faster than it should be coming in. It shouldn't be normal that my wife got amazing Broadway tickets to this, this Broadway show called Hamilton at the Fox Theater, and now we're having to settle watching it on Disney Plus. Even though it's still pretty awesome on Disney Plus, if you haven't watched Hamilton, it's pretty amazing. On a more serious note, it, it shouldn't be normal that over the last few hundred years in our country, we are still navigating racial reconciliation and the tension that we're living in with all of the injustice that's happening throughout our country. It shouldn't be normal that we're seeing unemployment rates rise. In all of our observations, in all of our experiences, we are finding ourselves asking this important yet very fundamental question, what should be normal? What does normal look like for you? On a typical day, going through your day, if I, if I was to say, tell me what a typical day, a normal day looks like in your life. Could you articulate it in such a way that would allow me to see the value system that you live by? Would it allow me to see the rhythms and the, the characteristics and the ethos of your life in such a way where I could point to it and say, this is the kind of person they are throughout the day? It's not just that, it's, it's actually, would it be defined by the gospel of Jesus? Would it be shaped by looking like Jesus? And this morning, we have a story that comes out of Joshua chapter three, where there is an emphasis on what has been normal for the people of God up to this point. And we're going to see throughout this journey that normal is redefined. Over the last few weeks, we've been in Joshua one, Joshua 
2, and now we're, we're getting into Joshua 3 here, but I just, I want to give you a little bit of, of context and narrative of where this story begins for the people of God. So Abraham, Genesis 12, we see that God wants to create a nation, a people of God through Abraham, and we find these people of God, the Israelites in Egypt, as slaves, then Moses is raised up by God and Moses is the liberator of his people. Moses leads the Israelites, leads the people of God out of Egypt into the wilderness and the climactic point of that journey from their slavery to their freedom is found in a body of water. And Moses lifts up his staff and waits for the parting of the Red Sea and the people of God are immersed into that body of water. They walk through it and they come out on the other side a free people. No longer slaves to Egypt, they are free. And the journey begins in their freedom where they, what should have taken, what should have taken a few weeks takes 40 years because of their wandering throughout the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever wandered, but a, a crucial time in my life was filled with wandering, unfortunately. It was the moment I was liberated out of my mom and dad's house and I went into college at North Greenville University, a fine institution. I felt the call of God on my life and I was singing songs for Jesus and I had a scholarship to go there. And then in the middle of all of that, I decided I wanted to change degrees a few times. I decided that I wanted to skip a few classes every now and then. And I even got to the point where I put in a little bit of cash with all of my roommates and we bought a huge widescreen TV so we could play video games when we should have been going to class. All that to say, a four year degree took me five and a half years because I wandered and I squandered a little bit in that season of what should have taken me so much more focus, so much more attention and purpose. I wandered and I was aimlessly just doing all these things in the freedom that I had gained. I had convinced myself that the, the call on my life and this idea of freedom was based around the ability that I could just do whatever I wanted to do. This was my normal. This was how I lived for a number of years. But I'm so thankful that God redeems even what I chose, chose to waste in my wandering. And here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could simply have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. He died so that you could be free and that I could be free to live into the calling that he has for our life. Let me say it like this. True freedom isn't defined by our ability to do whatever we want. It's defined by our capability to become exactly who God has called us to be. And throughout the story of the Israelites that we see in Exodus, we see this tension of them wanting to do what God's called them to do, but them going back into this place of freely wandering. And I don't know if you struggle with that tension this morning, but I do believe that we are in a season right now that as we look into the future and as we look into what is next, 
with all the unknowns, with all the uncertainties, we can't just be a people of freedom that, that do whatever we want. We have to be able to lean in to the purpose of God on our life so that we can have the capability to hear his voice and respond. To hear his voice and respond. Riley Lester, our student pastor, a few weeks ago took us through Joshua chapter one and he revealed the ongoing promise God has made with his people, stretching all the way back to Genesis. Mike Daniels, our executive pastor here, this past week showed us that God wants his people to be all in, that we must live light in light of eternity. In other words, as we move toward the promised land, let us take with us only what is essential for the call of God in our lives. And so today we pick up here in Joshua chapter three where Joshua and the people of God find themselves encamped in the valley of Shittim and they've arrived at the banks of the Jordan River. So if you have your Bibles this morning where you are, feel free to turn in those. If you have your phones, feel free to turn those on and open up the Bible app and we're gonna read this together. Here we go, Joshua chapter three, verses one through eight. Here we go. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And so Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. If there's one thing that I want you guys to take away from this message this morning, it's this. We have never gone this way before. We have never gone this way before. Therefore, we must hear and respond to God in faith. Not in the wisdom of man, not in our plans or lofty comparisons of what other people are doing. We must hear and respond in faith because we've never gone this way before. And so we find Joshua and the Israelites in this liminal space, this, this space that is between two things. I don't know if you can relate to that, but it, it feels like that in our country right now, in our world right now, even in my own home. It feels like I'm standing between what was and what will be, this liminal space that's, that's pregnant and, and, and filled with opportunity for what is ahead, yet there's still this tension and almost this fear of what will be. 
and they stand at this liminal space. Behind them is the death of Moses, their leader. The Red Sea's behind them. Their leadership has changed. Their relationship with God has changed. And Joshua, this new leader, this new Moses gives instruction. The Ark of the Covenant, that presence of God, the literal presence of God will go before you. He will go before you. For we have never been this way before. Because we have never been this way before, God, like he always does, goes before us. And then Joshua says this, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. What does that word consecrate mean? This is the same kind of language that Moses uses in Exodus 19 when he goes up to the mountain and receives the law of God, the Ten Commandments. He says, consecrate yourselves. In other words, God wants to purge their hearts. He's saying, remain abstinent. Prepare your hearts. Cleanse the camp. Set yourself apart because what is about to happen requires a shift in your thinking, your attentiveness. It requires a shift even in your posture toward the Lord and his ways and his heart. This morning, I I, I wanna do something, I wanna invite you into something right now in this moment because while the music has stopped, the worship hasn't stopped. The opportunity to respond hasn't stopped. And there's this beautiful word called tauda that we find all throughout the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word, and it means praise. And this word that means praise is associated with an outward response of praise, an outward bodily posture. All throughout the scriptures, we see that anytime we see worship or praise, in in Jewish culture, they they would posture their bodies in such a way to give thanks, to express gratitude, because often the outward posture of our bodies can renovate the inward reality of what's going on in our soul. And so this morning, I wanna invite you just for a moment as we pray together to lift your hands, and as you're lifting your hands in this posture of worship, in this posture of praise, tau to praise, you're not only thanking the Lord for what he's done, but you are thanking the Lord for what he's going to do. And so I just wanna pray that over us this morning. Lord, you see us all throughout the country and the world. We're watching this online and and our hands are lifted in a place of gratitude, in a place of thanksgiving, thanking you for what you will do, what your promise is, what your faithfulness represents over our life. And so right now, Lord, in our own way, we give thanks for what you're going to do. We thank you, Lord, that the breakthrough is coming. We thank you, Lord, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is yours to give. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is going before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for doing that with me. And so here we see in this passage that the old ways of the wilderness aren't going to work anymore. 
What, what they relied on in the past isn't going to be there anymore. What God is saying through Joshua as they move forward is that things are gonna look different. It's not a formula. There's not going to be a cloud by day or a pillar by night anymore. Manna is not gonna fall from heaven anymore. But what will remain is God's presence. God is saying through Joshua, I know you've never gone this way before. I know it seems like an impossibility to cross over this wild river called the Jordan. I know you're tired and weary. I know you have questions. I know you're wandering. I know your frustrations and your disappointments. I know you don't know what the future is gonna hold, but I want you to know that I'm making a way. I am making a way. Friends, the promise of tomorrow is found in trusting God today. The promise of tomorrow is found in trusting God today. Does it mean that we'll know exactly all the ins and outs of what tomorrow looks like? No. Does it mean that we'll have everything figured out as we move forward? No. What it does mean is that our trust in God allows us, whether this side of eternity or the other side, allows us to know that there is a tomorrow. So first, God demonstrated that he was with Joshua as he'd been with Moses. The Ark of the Covenant was God's throne on the earth, his presence literally. The same God that went with Joshua and the Israelites into the Jordan is with us today. Let me say that again. The same God that went with Joshua and the Israelites into the Jordan is with us today. Isaiah 43 verse two says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Notice that this passage doesn't say, when you pass by the waters, when you walk by the fires, let me, let me just warm your hands a little bit because God's gonna take you around it. Listen, the Lord is not going to build a bridge over the Jordan River. The Lord is not gonna give you a shortcut to go around your hardships. What he's saying is, I need you to be a people, not of certainty, but of faith. And in the midst of your hardships, when you have faith, it's not denying your circumstances, it's not looking, looking at your hardships over here and saying, I just gotta have faith. God's invitation is saying, I'm gonna be with you as you pass through, and I want you to see your circumstances and your situations through the eyes of faith, able to name those things and believe that God is bigger and better than those things. God calls his people to a life of faith, not certainty. Think about all the times that Moses throughout the journey said this, God, if you don't go with us, we're not going. And Joshua picks up on this language as well. They no longer, the longer they were on the journey with God, the more their faith had to increase, the more they had to depend and trust God. This moment in their journey wasn't about their measure of faith. It was whether or not their faith had increased. You see, at the beginning of the journey, 
with Moses and the Red Sea, what Moses did was just lift up his staff. And right in front of them, they, they all watched in wonder. The, the water split in front of them. But here, as they've journeyed with God over these last few seasons, their faith has increased. It doesn't mean that it's up and to the right. It means that through their hardships, through their struggles, through their pain, through even their disobedience, God never left them. And God showed up and provided and protected them. And so here they are at the bank of this crazy, wild Jordan River that normally, most of the time out of the year, looks just like this. Very calm, very peaceful. But the moment the Israelites were getting ready to step out to cross over the Jordan River, this is what it looked like at flood stages. And Joshua, he could, have, he could have remembered back to the story of Moses and he could have acted as if, I'll just do what Moses did and I'll raise my staff. But that wouldn't have done anything because the Lord's instructions were for them to actually step into the water. It was actually them, them having to look at what was in front of them in the physical and believe that God was going to be bigger and greater than what was right in front of them and them stepping into the water. That's how the Lord went before them and went with them. So how about you, church? Is our faith increasing? The longer you walk with God, the longer you're on this journey with God, is there more dependence and trust on him? Or is there more independence? Is there more curiosity and hunger and wonder? Is there more love for your neighbor? Is there more desire to disciple? Is there more seeing the lost stepped into the kingdom because of the faith you have in Jesus? As I said before, almost all the people of Israel who had witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea and their escape from Egypt had died. Parting the Jordan, them stepping out in faith, reinforced God's love for this new generation. Crossing the Jordan also represented a break in Israel's past, a break from what the wilderness had represented into a place of promise. But how they were to cross was so explicit in chapter three. I want you guys to get this. God's instruction for his people looked different going into the wilderness than it did coming out of the wilderness. God's instruction for his people looked different going into the wilderness than it did coming out of the wilderness. My wife and I have been married for 15 years. The first year of marriage, we stepped into our first house. It was, uh, it, it was a house that didn't have any ceiling fans in it. And the first thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to buy some ceiling fans for our house. So we did what every married couple does. We go to Home Depot and we pick the fan out and then I lay the fan down in, in the bedroom and I open it up and I begin to assemble the, the fan. And right on top of the box right there was the instructions. And what I did with the instructions is I just kind of, 
I was like, oh, that's good. Just set that over there. And I began to assemble the ceiling fan. Let me give you a little bit more history here. My wife and I met when we were in high school and she dated my best friend named Ralph. Please remember that. Ralph is very important in this particular story. So I'm building the tent, or not the tent, good grief. I'm building the ceiling fan and I put the entire ceiling fan together on the floor. And somehow I'm thinking that I'm gonna lift the entire ceiling fan up and hold it on the ceiling and bolt it in and put all the wires in together. So somehow, some way, maybe because of my wife's help, I managed to at least bolt it in and put the wires together. But as I go over to the wall plate where the power is, I start to flip the switches and there's no, nothing's happening, nothing's happening at all. So then I decide that I'm gonna undo the wall plate with an electrical screwdriver and I put my hand back behind the wall plate all the while, my, my wife is looking at me like, what are you doing? So I put my hand behind the wall plate and as she's looking at me, I'm starting to get electrocuted. <laughs> I fall down to the ground and I am just over this whole thing of putting a ceiling fan up. And finally, I just look over her and I'm like, you know what? You can just get Ralph to go do it. And I walked out of the room. I don't know why I said that, but it was somewhere in my subconscious that Ralph needed to put the ceiling fan up for her. Anyway, all that to say, I think this is a real interesting picture of how often we wanna hear from God. How the Israelites wanna hear from God. Let's go get the land. Let's go into the land. They hear that word. They hear the wisdom direction word. But they forget the how. They forget the how. They miss the second word. And the second word is, how do you want us to get into the land? How do you want us to step into your promise? It's kind of like we're saying to the Lord, all right, Lord, thanks for the word. We got it from here. We'll use our strategies. We'll use our own plans. We'll use our own money, however we see fit. And we'll kind of exclude the Lord out of the conversation from that point on. But the daily walk, the daily journey with Jesus are these two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? Because I've never been this way before. I've never been this way before. We need the second word. We need the how we get into the land. How do we get into the land? How we get into the land is through faith. How we get into the land is pleasing the Lord through the posture of faith. Hebrews says this, it's impossible to please God without faith. And so this morning, we stand again, I believe, just like the Israelites, in a liminal space, a space between two seasons. And God is saying, come walk through the river with me. Let me show you how. I'm gonna go before you. I know you've never been this way before, but trust me and know that I'm good. So Moses could lead his people out of Egypt, but he couldn't lead them into the land. Joshua led his people into the land, but he could not lead them into rest. He could not lead them into salvation. He could not lead them into everlasting life in abundance and purpose. 
Jesus could lead his people from the land into a place of rest, salvation, and new life. You know, what's really interesting about the Old Testament is that there are so many physical realities in the Old Testament that represent a new spiritual reality in the New Testament. There was another man who immersed himself into the Jordan River. There was another man who, instead of coming out of the wilderness, chose to go into the wilderness, led there by the Spirit. That man's name was Jesus. And when he came out of the wilderness, there wasn't a tension of what he knew he needed to do. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He said this, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the good news of the gospel. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the good news. He would not only preach this message, but preach this message all the way to a cross. And for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And through the cross, his defeat, he came out on the other side of that in resurrection, life, and power. And if you're in Christ, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And the opportunity this morning that we have is, is twofold. Number one, if you've never experienced any kind of life with Christ, if you've never stepped into a relationship with him, if you haven't even moved into freedom, if you find yourself still bound up in chains, enslaved to sin and brokenness and, and, and a fragmented life full of, of darkness and hopelessness, I want you to know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And how you receive him, how you choose to step into that invitation is by this, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. This message of Jesus is for the person who hasn't yet met him yet, but it's also a message for those people who've been on this journey a while, who have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's been locked up a little bit. The voice of, of the Lord in your life is, is distant, it's far off. Maybe there's been so many different things, distractions, things you asked for, other things you didn't ask for. Whatever the reason, the invitation this morning is for you to recognize the fact that you've never gone this way before requires a new attentiveness a new awakening in your soul and in your heart for you to hear the voice of the Lord. Church, I wanna just tell you on an individual level, we need what God is doing in your life. There's no one else who can lead like you, who can carry what you carry. And what God is doing in your life in this season right now isn't for you, it's for the church. And so this morning, I wanna invite you to respond to the Lord and what he's saying to you and, and, and invite you into considering what he would have you do about it. Repent and believe. Let's pray together this morning. As we pray, I, I wanna invite you that if, if you feel an urging of the Holy Spirit to step into a relationship with Jesus this morning, you can text yes, Jesus to 31996. 
or you can visit crosspointchurch.com forward slash decision. So Lord, we, we just acknowledge your presence here with us. We thank you that your hand is still mighty to save, that you are going before us through this season. You're not wanting to take a shortcut around it. You're not trying to build a bridge over it, Lord. You are wanting to walk with us through it. And so help us, Lord Jesus, as the people of God, to trust you at your word and to believe that salvation in Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven. And Lord, we ask for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this day, we pray. It's in your name, amen. This morning, I wanna invite you to just have one more moment of worship and response, and it's a prayer that comes out of the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you as we move forward. Let's worship together.